0: Coming up, a special state election edition of Ipswich Today, with highlights from a recent webinar hosted by the McKell Institute. It provided an insider's look at the Queensland state election with views from former State Minister and ALP member for Ipswich, Rachel Nolan, now Executive Chairperson of the McKell Institute in Queensland, and Graham Young, Executive Director of the Australian Institute for Progress and a former campaign chairman for the Queensland Liberal Party. It's Friday, October 23, 2020, and I'm Alan Roebuck. Welcome to Ipswich Today, which acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which it is produced and pays respects to Elders past, present and emerging. This podcast is supported by Kinetics, people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. Does anyone really have a handle on the real issues driving the outcome of this state election? There are so many firsts this time round, including extensive loss of local media coverage in regional Queensland through daily newspapers and television, and the big one, the influence of COVID-19 on voters. From the McEll Institute webinar streamed on October 22, Rachel Nolan and Graham Young offered some of the best insights I've heard in the lead-up to October 31. Starting with, what's the campaign been like so far? Rachel Nolan.
1: I think this is a dead set weird one, to be honest. Um, there's a lot about this that is a sort of bog standard Queensland election. You know, there's a lot of um, campaigning on infrastructure projects and, and economic development in the regional towns up the state, up the up the coast, which is... Um, your kind of standard visual of a Queensland election campaign, but it's, it's different from the normal rollout in a few senses. Um, firstly, for the first time in any Australian, major Australian jurisdiction, there are two women leaders um, and that's gone virtually unremarked, which is I think just really dead set interesting in itself. So that's the kind of interesting background um secondly feels here like it's on the back of a pandemic um so there is a bit of optimism in Queensland that we're sort of towards the end of of things now um you know that may or may not be borne out to be true but the pandemic absolutely has framed of course the context of of the year and it really feels a bit like we've sort of scrambled to have an election campaign at, at the end so it was the sort of framing context but it hasn't totally defined um the election discussion itself and the third thing that um feels tremendously different to me is um it's come just after all those news limited cuts in regional papers so this is this to me feels like the first dead set um queensland social media election and that makes Many of the normal indicators about what are the issues, particularly in the regional seats, really hard to read. So my point is similar thematics, but a lot unknowns, a lot of unknowns in a way that I don't recall having experienced, you know, in the 30 years that I've been watching Queensland elections.
0: Graham Young, this isn't the
2: election that I would have been scripting if I was running the LNP campaign 12 months ago. I think that election would have uh, looked at Labor's record. It would have um, picked them uh, up on their uh, delivery or non-delivery of infrastructure. It would have picked them up on overspending. It would have picked them up on uh, failure to deliver on unemployment, uh, and it would have picked them up in terms of the increase in debt here uh, without any commensurate uh, outcome. Uh, I think COVID has changed everything. Um, and. that will be the case all around the world. I can't see how you can have something as significant as the pandemic uh, which has brought about a a top-down approach to government even from people like uh, Morrison who are you know allegedly liberals. Uh, It's been very much a command and control performance. At the same time it's changed a lot of the things that we're doing. So at the Australian Institute for Progress we do our own qualitative polling and uh, I've spoken to spoken in inverted commas uh, to 249 people via an online qualitative survey. And what I gleaned out of that, and it's confirmed by the campaigns that are being run by both sides of politics, is that people uh, are basically, they're looking through COVID. Um, politicians are only as good as they're as the future not the past and a good illustration of that is that uh, Winston Churchill wins World War II and then he loses the next election obviously because he wasn't offering by that stage what people wanted he'd he'd done that job now we want someone to do the next job so people looking through COVID they take that as something which is uh, for granted you mentioned Jacinda Ardern before well uh, you might not be aware in Victoria but uh, in New Zealand, they had four times as many deaths from COVID as we did here in Queensland for a similar population. Uh, so in terms of COVID and in terms of the health impact, it barely touched us. And in fact, some parts of the uh, the country uh, didn't even see any cases, really. You know, you go west to Brisbane or you go uh, the bit between here and uh, Townsville and Cairns, and there was basically nothing. Um, but there's been an economic impact. Uh, so what people are saying is, look, COVID's come along, Uh, it's changed the way we do things, Uh, it's had an economic impact on us, but it also gives us an opportunity to change the way we do things. So I think the public's actually been looking to the politicians to answer the question as to how we reboot. And I think that the population has been uh, severely disappointed that what we've seen from both sides of politics is a a vote buying spree with, you know, little sweetmeats here and sweetmeats there to try and buy this electorate or that electorate or keep it on side. But we haven't actually seen a coherent narrative and an explanation as to where they see Queensland in four years time. Uh, and there hasn't really been much talking about how you restructure the economy after COVID. Uh, and that's disappointing too, because, you know, I think both sides should have something to say about it.
0: The panel then gave their view about how much border closures will influence voters.
2: The election is basically about the economy, uh, but Labor is taking its ability uh, to control the borders and control COVID as proof of its ability to control the economy. Uh, So they get very good marks from across the board uh, for the low rate of infection here. And there's a high level of support even amongst LNP voters for closing the borders. Now, that might vary a bit where you are in the state. So if you're down the, the Gold Coast, uh, where Coolangatta uh, uh, and Tweed Heads are called the Twin Towns for the reason, but basically they straddle the border and the residents, there don't see any difference between one side or the other, then it could be different uh, because it's been a major disruption to people living there. And if you're up in Cairns, which is heavily dependent uh, on fly-in tourism, Uh, where again, it's had an effect, it might be quite different, but most parts of the state, people are are grateful that uh, we've had low rate of infection and they uh, tie that back to keeping the borders closed. So they give Anastasia big marks for it.
1: The subtext of the Labor campaign is essentially um, that Anastasia Palaszczuk kept us safe so she can make us strong. Um, So there is, a, as Graeme touched on, the sort of controversial nature of the border closures, but ultimately most of the evidence suggests that um, they are popularly supported. Um, the LNP, like conservatives around the country, um, ran pretty hot and cold over the you know over previous months on whether the borders should be open or, or closed. So. Um, for instance, the leader of the LNP was calling pretty loudly for the Queensland border to be open right when Victoria was starting to go into the second wave. And so one of Labor's attacks, um, you know, on the basis of, of that has been that the LNP really were a bit all over the place. Um, I spent a few days last week um, at Cool and Gadda where Graham's talking about, and the atmosphere there was was sort of verging on um celebratory you know it's glorious in the sunshine you can now go back and forth across the border there's a bubble to northern New South Wales so it's, it's there's not that sense of closure and I think the sense that you know for a cliche life is great in the sunshine state when you're aware that it's not elsewhere in, in the country and in the world is you know you don't have to say it there's just this background consciousness of that all the time um, so I think you know I think Graham's right and, and wrong I I think it's true that people don't necessarily give you um, the tick for work done but that sort of subtext of we don't really have COVID here and life is um, for most people not everyone there have been job losses but for most people really pretty normal there is an understanding in the community that that's by and large on the back of of border closures that were kind of hard to do. So then the next point, and I agree with Graham on this, then the next point is, okay, so what's the campaign about? Um, And the campaign, Queensland campaigns are always about economic development to a greater or lesser degree. And this one's about economic recovery. Um, So that's where the discussion is now going. Um, and in that sense, um, Labor's essentially running a sort of, is not trying to spend a huge amount of money because there is a debt load. Um, so Labor's essentially trying to run um, some infrastructure spending, largely in renewables, um, and some targeted job-creating pro- um, projects, particularly in the regions. The is talking about similar stuff. We can talk about this in more detail. Um, but they have some really big infrastructure commitments. And that's kind of been the discussion over the last few weeks.
0: You're listening to an Ipswich Today state election special podcast featuring highlights from a McKell Institute webinar streamed on October 22 with Rachel Nolan and Graham Young. The panellists gave their views on where the election is won or lost, Graham Young.
2: It's moved around where you win elections, you know, there, there has been movement, the uh, ALP is not as strong as it used to be in the country. Um, and uh, its strength is now concentrated uh, in Brisbane and the southeast. east. Um, that wasn't always the case, so back in the, uh, the 60s and the 70s, it was fairly even in Brisbane. Uh, now you've got the LNP only holding four seats in Brisbane. Um, which One more to put that in context, at the Brisbane City Council level, uh, it's the Labor Party that only owns six seats in Brisbane. So it's quite volatile in Brisbane, but at the moment, I can't see much of a shift there. And I think it would be hard for the ALP to pick up extra seats. Uh, The seat that would be uh, on the swings easiest for them to pick up is Clayfield. Uh, I basically live in Clayfield and I've seen very little Labor activity there, which says they don't think they've got a chance. By the same token, I can't see the LNP picking up uh, anything much in Brisbane, if anything at all. Um, When you go to the the Golden Sunshine Coast, they're pretty much owned by the LNP at the moment. There's some prospects there, though, for the ALP to pick up a couple. Um, When you you then get to the ring around Brisbane, so you've got the, the, the Brisbane City Council area, then you've got the sort of Brisbane statistical area, outside of that the ALP again is pretty dominant so there's not much that they can pick up in that area the LNP really owns a couple of seats and no more. Uh, Then when you get out into the the west of the great divide that's national party territory and it it has been since the 1957 ALP DLP split so I don't see anything changing there and it hasn't changed there for roughly 60 years. Uh, So I think where this election might change the government is in the area sort of from Noosa up to to Cairns. Uh, And that's an area where Scott Morrison won big swings uh, around seats like Rockhampton. Rockhampton at a state level being a Labor Party stronghold, which I think the last time it elected a a non-Labour member was Rex Pilbeam in about 1974. So it's solidly Labor. but uh, uh, Michelle Landry in, in Capricornia got a 10% swing to her. So around that area would be interesting to watch up in New- uh, in Townsville and, and Cairns, uh, there's the most marginal Labor seats. Uh, however, you know my best uh, prognostication is that uh, the LNP couldn't possibly win a majority in their own right. They need to win nine seats to do that. Um, so their best chance is a minority government um, I think the ALP's best chance is to more or less maintain the number of seats that they hold by swapping a few in the, in the north with a few in the south-east.
0: Rachel Nolan.
1: Brisbane is really interesting and is unlike Sydney and Melbourne in that in, in Queensland, historically, the National Party are the dominant Conservative Party. So now merged, but you know, the LNP still, you know, the Liberals and the Nationals are, are still philosophically quite different. And so the reason, the historical reason why you've got this dead set sort of state Labor hegemony in Brisbane, where there are lots and lots of seats, is that there has been uh, an historical view that people in Brisbane couldn't quite bring themselves to vote national. Now, um, and and to some extent that remains the case, it really changed. Campbell Newman was seen as being the first Liberal Premier of, of Queensland. Um but was then sort of such a disaster that we lost a whole bunch of seats in in Brisbane in two thousand and twelve and sort of thought, oh my gosh, you know the the electoral dynamics have really fundamentally changed. and lots of people thought it's going to be very hard for us to win back seats in in Brisbane once the libs get established. Um, but then we just won them all back in two thousand and fifteen. Um, and the the leader, the LNP leader now um, represents Joe Bielke Peterson's old seat. so, while the LNP are a, a, a singular beast these days, there's still a bit of sort of liberal national dynamics that underlies it all in terms of the messaging and the themes. And that's really why to some extent, there's um, there's this dead set, set, set block of um, of labor votes and labor seats in, in, in Brisbane. Um, your question was about, uh, Oh, minor parties and sort of general, you know, gen- the general madness um, associated therewith. So, <laughs> um, look, there are three right wing minor parties um, One Nation, who've got one seat um, now, but, um, you know, are always kicking around. One Nation always comes second, not the Liberals in Ipswich. Um, you know, the same is true in Rockhampton. Um, the same is, is true in a whole lot of seats. So there are all, so there are all these seats where one nation will get 30 or more percent of the vote, but generally speaking, won't win. And that is likely to be the case this time. Um, you know, there's obviously Clive Palmer who's spending a lot of money, um, but won't win any seats. So his influence is is in the form of messaging rather than electorally. Um, and there's less impact there'll be less impact in the state election from him and from that than there was in the federal election for two reasons um one is you know if you do that stuff often enough everybody does just begin to think you're a bit of a loon um you lose some credibility over time and i think that's kind of where we're going um but also there are um state funding caps so he can't spend 80 million dollars in the state election then you get to the caters australia party you know who are their own quite different beasts. So um, they are, you can't categorize them as just lunatic right-wingers. You know, they're much more sort of traditional Labor um, or traditional national parties, sort of economically nationalist, socially conservative. And because they're geographically concentrated up around Bob Catter's federal seat, um, they hold three seats. Um, which, well, two of which they'll most certainly win back um, and the third they may well. So they totally come into play um, in the event that there's a minority, uh, that we end up in negotiations around a minority government and which way they would go is really interesting because they're not, you know, while Qatar while didn't back Gillard in 2010 and most of those voters would tend to be conservative leaning um, you can't just see them in just in that sort of far right frame like you can with the other minor parties. Then in Brisbane, um, there are a number of any, there's one Greens seat in uh, the inner city, which they won for the first time at the last election, knocking off a pretty well-established lip. Um, there's a huge contest that everybody's fascinated about um, between uh, a second time around Greens candidate and the former Deputy Premier Jackie Trad in South Brisbane. That is well understood to you know, that it could go either way. But what happened last time that everybody was talking, was that everybody was talking about South Brisbane, and then the Greens unexpectedly won this other seat. So, you know, the Greens are in play in the inner city. Um, And I mean, the Greens do that thing that they always do where they say, oh, we're on the verge of a breakthrough. they may or may not be, but you know, once again, that's a sort of live discussion in inner city Brisbane seats.
0: This election marks the beginning of fixed four-year terms in Queensland. The panelists discussed how it will change policy making and reform going forward.
2: Yeah, look, in theory, I think uh, four-year terms are uh, better than three-year terms, um, but I'm not sure it's going to make much um, difference. You know, I'm looking at the uh, the two sides, and um, I'm not seeing. Uh, any zeal for doing more than fiddling around at the edges. Um, I think you know, both, both sides are really looking at, at business as usual. Four years might well mean that um, bad governments get uh, an extra um, year to uh, run the place badly and you get a bigger eruption at the end of it.
1: I think it will change things quite significantly. Um, I think it's a, it's a really significant reform that's just been talked about here for absolutely ever. Um, Palaszczuk got it through you know pretty sort of seamlessly and doesn't I think get enough credit for the way that that will just fundamentally change Queensland politics going forward um, three years is mad you know you have this sort of three years and um, discretion about you know and, and variable terms um, so you quite often get two and a half so there's just this sort of slight sense of chaos in um, in politics and in government all the time. So it's partly four years, it's partly that it's four years, but it's partly that it's fixed terms. And that just creates much clearer air um, for serious governance and for actual reform than we've had before.
0: And finally, the big question who do they think is going to win?
2: My gut tells me that a minority gov- Labor government is probably the most likely outcome. And that because Labor's going to lose one seat, they might pick up another one. I'd say they'd go for Sandy Bolton, who's the independent in Noosa first. Um, so there's a there's a slight tradition of uh, independence from the Sunshine Coast area, becoming Speakers of Parliament. <laughs> uh, Peter Wellington, the member <laughs> for Campbell, having been Speaker for a period of time there. So that would be what their first option, I would have thought. And then after that, they'd um, have to, um, See whether they could either bring Catar or um, the Greens over the uh, over the line. Um, I'm assuming that One Nation might hold their one seat in Parliament, but that's by no means um, certain. Uh, it's a seat that Caders could take or or the LNP could take. So who knows whether One Nation will be there? But I couldn't see Labor having any sort of arrangement with um, One Nation, but you know, I could see them having an arrangement with CADA. Uh, so, well, no, you just have to um, say, look, we'll support you on um, money bills and bills and motions of confidence. You don't have to be part of the uh, the government. And, you know, that's, we have plenty of minority governments on that kind of basis. Um, but, you know, they've got more to play with there. Uh, whereas the LNP, so Labor's got to lose a few more than I think the LNP have got to win to be in the same sort of bargaining position when it comes to minority government
1: i really find it very hard to to say to be honest my the the the, my bones say um labor majority government because um it's been a pretty for two reasons it's been a pretty solid government the pandemic has dead set been managed well um and through the campaign the premier has rolled out Um, and not overly ambitious, but quite strategic and well-targeted economic plan. Um, And she just looks confident. So therefore, you know, I say that's where you'd be likely to land. But as I said at the beginning, in sort of social media land and whatnot, it's really hard to read. So I would go most likely um, Labor majority government with majority of up to about five. Next, most likely Labor minority government um, and interestingly, you can do business with the with the Catters. I had a lot to do as a minister with one of the Catter members. Um, and he was just a really sensible, reasonable character. So you, it, you shouldn't assume, you know, having seen the Bob Catter and Gillard thing, that the Catters wouldn't necessarily deal with Labor. That that is actually a live possibility. Um, and politically, that. Might be better than ending up potentially with um with the greens so little i'm not i haven't got total confidence but i I, that's what my gut says
0: if you'd like to hear and watch the full webinar search mckell institute on youtube ipswich today is supported by kinetics people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. This podcast is also listener supported. If you like what you hear, please make a once-only gift or regular donation to help keep it online. Just go to ipswitchtoday.com.au and click the donate button at the bottom of the page. You can subscribe for free and share this podcast from your favourite app, including iHeartRadio, or play Ipswich today from your smart speaker. Music is supplied by Purple Planet Music. This is Alan Roebuck. Thanks for listening. From legendary locals we all know to people you should get to know. Follow Ipswich Today on your favourite app and never miss an episode, or go to ipswichtoday.com.au.